Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I have someone I'm staring at who I haven't seen this face in a while, and it was like that one year I saw you like three or four times, so it's weird that I haven't seen you since 2017. Um, I have a friend of mine, and I can call her a friend, Rebecca Conley. Hello. Tell everyone, say hello to everyone. Hi, I'm Rebecca Conley. I live in Durham, North Carolina, and I am an associate instructor with Momentum Learning, and I am a former treasurer of the Django Software Foundation, and I am a career switcher who four years ago, uh, through a boot camp, made the switch from nonprofits and education into being a developer. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Okay, so <laughs> I thought the way you rock and roll, I thought you've been in there for a while, so you made the same the switch about the same time I did. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so why is it important to cause a scene, and how are you, Rebecca, causing a scene? Well, I, one of my core values is to leave a place, a community, this planet, a little bit better than I found it. And um, one of the ways that's necessary to do that is causing a scene. It, because that's the way that change happens. People have to be alerted to the need for change and they usually require a lot of convincing (laughs) about that need for change. And um, so causing a scene is a healthy part of moving toward positive change in any environment or community. And how I'm causing a scene is that, you know, as a relative newcomer um, to this tech community and using my background in education, the thing that I think I'm best positioned to shake up is the distribution of information and opportunity within this industry. Um, So the way in which I cause a scene is to share information and opportunities that I have access to as often as I can with as wide a group as I can, particularly including those people who are underrepresented in technology, whether that be um, people from marginalized communities within the United States or um, from overseas. And, you know, it's one of the things as a, now as a code school instructor, one of our missions, one of the reasons I love working at Momentum and why we're different is that part of our mission is to change the way tech looks as a, as a community. And so by trying to lower the barrier century as much as possible and to be as forthcoming and generous as possible as I can with sharing information, I want to um, be as forthcoming as I, as possible with information. That's how I'm aiming to cause a scene and to leave this tech world a little bit better than I found it. Well, and so, as I said, um, I assume that you've been around much longer than you had um, because um, you're everywhere. When people say I'm everywhere, you're everywhere. 
you've um you've been in Africa. We met at um Python in the Caribbean in Puerto Rico. And yeah, and we met again at um, Django Con and and um and um Spokane. And then I also was uh joined the Django <laughs> Foundation um um advisory, I guess, but um got busy and couldn't do anything. But I saw you rocking and rolling and making sure that people in particularly Africa is what I saw. Um those individuals were connected, had resources, were ready for conferences and all kinds of things. So I'm saying this to say there's so many people who sit around and talk about they don't know what to do or how can they be impactful. It's like, come on guys, this is bullshit. This is easy. <laughs> I mean, we have it easy in tech um, compared to yeah. other things. The, the barrier for entry is pretty fucking low if yeah. we get out of people's way. Exactly. Um, and, and you are, have been a person who demonstrates, um, who has demonstrated that it's possible, that, uh, oh, that, yeah, that we can move, we can connect, we can change, and, um, and we can learn in ourselves. And I think that... I think that, and I didn't even know you had an education background. So that's another thing that I'm having an affinity with you about because that makes so much sense to us because that's how we are. You know, when there's somebody that's, that education needs to happen, we've been taught we need to make it happen. So yeah. all these other things that, that um, people him and haw about, we're like, okay, we don't have paper. Okay, we'll work, we write in chalk. Oh, we don't have chalk. Okay, you have a finger, let's write in the dirt. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> It's just like we make it, educators make it happen. Um, yeah, actually, when I was, so one of one of the things that I've done most recently that I really, really enjoyed is um, with, uh, as when I was an officer with the Django Software Foundation through uh, a grant from, from the foundation, I was able to attend and actually keynoted PyCon Nigeria. And um, then I stayed on in Nigeria a little bit afterwards um, working with an organization, I asked, you know, you're looking at like, what can I do? So I had an opportunity to go to Nigeria and I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm already over there. Let me take another week. Right. And let me ask the conference organizers, are there any organizations that you're connected with that you trust that you're excited about that could use an American developer's help for a week? And, you know, and I was like, I need to make any money. I prefer not to lose money. Like if you can feed me and, and put me somewhere <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And so, um, I was connected with, with this organization called Avocoders and yeah, like one of the things out there, like they do have a really, they had a great co-working center. Um, you know, it's, it's Nigeria and, um, power was inconsistent. So, so I'm, you know, we're working on coding, power goes out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. Right. Yeah. You know, and just thinking about, and that's, to, I mean, to me, that's really exciting and fun. And it's actually, it's where the great, and it's where the next great innovations are going to come mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that are going to move us forward, you know, globally into the future. So, um, that was just, so we, we ended up, you know, coding on each other, writing programs <laughs> mm-hmm. for each other, you know, and just, and just finding, that's that's been a really fun and exciting part of the of this journey for me has been able to apply precisely that skill of like people need to learn let's make it work yeah it's like yeah <laughs> learning has to happen 
Doesn't matter. Learning's going to happen. Um, and so you and I met, as I was saying, um, at, it was um, Pi Caribbean, uh, or Caribbean, however people want to pronounce it. And it was in Puerto Rico the year before the, the, <laughs> the hurricane. Um, and it was a, that was a very, um, that was a really nice, small, intimate conference. Yes where I've been to where there are thousands of people and I'm just like lost, you know, I'm just like uh, overwhelmed, get in my corner, don't say anything to anybody. Um, but that was a conference that, and even in small spaces, um, even if I'm speaking, I don't engage. And right. you, I know you made an intentional effort to engage me. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> um, um, making sure I was introduced to people and. And those kinds. Of, so that's something about you that is very different from me. You're, um, you're, you're social. Where I'm just like, <laughs> that's one reason I tell people. That's one reason I speak is because I can start a conversation in the middle at that point. <laughs> you already know who I am. We don't have to do small talk. We can talk about questions about my talk, or you know, it's like it makes it easier. But you are a connector. So how have you? Um, like I said, you've been, did you go to, um, the one that was in the Dominican Republic? I did the following year. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, uh, it was in Santo Domingo and it's, it's there again shortly. I think plenty, plenty of tickets still available. Um, and I do love that conference. It feels like a family yeah. and yeah. Every, every sort of positive attribute that you can think of in terms of Latin American hospitality and warmth definitely gets, is reflected um, at that conference. And it's so funny because I just, I had a conversation really recently with someone who's doing, is doing research on open, um, code of conduct for open source projects. And I connected her to you. Um, <laughs> because my, my, my experience, particularly with the Django community, mm -hmm. is that there is an awareness that there needs to be more inclusion and diversity. There's awareness and, and intentional effort and strategies yep. um, that I don't see or haven't seen at the level of the leadership um, in other communities, which I really enjoy and really like. Um, and it's really interesting because even in my short time in the, in the, in the, uh, what was it called? The, the group, the Google group for the software um, team. People were having conversations about that then. Um, that was two years ago. People were really trying to have conversations about yeah. what does a code of conduct look like? What does it mean? How do we enforce mm -hmm. it? Um, language, all these things that um, some communities are, are still fighting. <laughs> some yeah. communities are, are just getting started. Some communities think, oh, let's copy and paste this thing here and we're done. Um, but what I've seen um, with this particular, because that's what she asked, she said, what's something about the Jenga? I, was, I don't know. It's just something about that group, <laughs> that subsect of Python. Because I've been to other Python commercial, com excuse me, conferences. But something yeah. about that Django com community that is intentionally recognizes that it's rooted in white supremacy and it's trying to really work hard <laughs> to, to upend that and to bring other people in, actually bringing other people in because Nigeria wasn't the only one. Didn't you get, wasn't there one in Zimbabwe or um, there was a, a Python conference? Um, 
Okay. I I went to Nigeria, or so. There's there are Python conferences all over Africa now, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, exactly. Because I remember I was the when I used to, when I was doing when I met you, I had the um, Junior Dev Mentoring website, and. Um, the person who was helping me build that was actually somebody who I met who, when I was asking questions on Stack Overflow, he was like, you know what, let me help you. He just came <laughs> up and he um, is in Nigeria. Actually, he started a Python in Lagos, mm -hmm. um, group in Lagos. And, um, and it was interesting to see, I don't know where I'm going with this and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter, except for the fact that what I wanted to say is this is everywhere. This stuff is everywhere and it needs to be touching everybody. And for me, Python is that language to do that. Um, it's just, I just love Python. It's just so much, so much easier to, mm -hmm. to wrap my head around um, and to, it communicates very well, um, particularly, and, and, and you can speak to this. I think that Python is a language that works well to e, e for even English as a second language speakers because it is so close to English that they're trying to learn or they've mastered. Whereas, wow. whereas JavaScript to me, there's so many, too, too many moving parts to that mm -hmm. that aren't natural language kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm uh, taking that as an educator because right. when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm teaching something, I want to connect it to something mm -hmm. they already know. Mm -hmm. And so the Python language is particularly, maybe not so much for those people who don't know any English, but because of how they're speaking in English and learning it in fragments, mm -hmm. it's, it's easier for them to grasp. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like a great study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean... Cause I just know about chunking and all these other things. It's just really, it just, it, because before I started Python, I was doing, cause everybody's pushing everybody to web developer. Everybody's pushing everybody to front end, which is HTML, CSS, JavaScript. You have to learn three languages before you can get started on doing anything. Um, and just with the language of Python and I guess it's Ruby as well, but for me it was Python. I, it just really made sense. Mm -hmm. And I was able to like, oh, got it, blah, blah, blah. This, what it, I mean, that was the first time I understood what classes were just because they made sense. And, and because there's so many, yeah, I don't know. This is just a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a hypothesis. I think it works. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. going to go with that. <laughs> so what are you doing these days? Because I haven't seen you in a year and a half. I know it's been, um, yeah, I've been doing some, um, some freelance Django development last year. Last year I did get a chance to travel a lot. I did a, um, week long, um, sort of workshop for, uh, public school girls, about middle school age, public school girls in Bermuda, um, which was pretty exciting. It's the, uh, the school is different but the the founder one of the co-founders is the person who actually taught me to code when i was a when i was a student um in a boot camp and so it's been pretty fun to come full circle and now i'm am, his name is clinton dreisbach and he's um an amazing instructor an amazing person and i am now an associate instructor in his class and i think it's been it's really allowed me to leverage my strength which is one-on-one -on -one coaching like i'm not a great lecturer but i'm uh, I, 
I'm really passionate about. And I think I have um, some specific skills at one-on-one coaching. And so I've been doing that in um, helping students, basically, you know, who are in the same situation I was, career switchers who are doing a three-month intensive um, web development boot camp with Python and Django. Also, I teach tap dancing. (laughs) So tell me, so we're going to talk about this from an educator's perspective. Yeah. Because I don't normally have an educator, a fellow educator on this show. How is Python, Django, tech in general, how can it be used? Because you're speaking about these middle school girls in Bermuda. How can it be used? How are you using it to really just, you know, cause that scene? As you say, you guys are trying to change the makeup of the industry. Yep. So what's that strategy? Well, I think, you know, you, you sort of hinted at it, that the, the traditional barriers to, I think, to success in this industry are lots of gatekeeping, you know, that's, that's based in white supremacy and patriarchy and, and all the sort of, all the um, broken institutions. Actually, are you the one that told me? No, one of my students was like, they're not broken. They work, they work exactly the way. Oh, exactly. They, they work exactly as designed. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I gotta think of a new way of saying that. Mm-hmm. They're not broken. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They may seem broken to privilege yeah. now because, oh. we, because yeah. we're now leveraging them and we were never supposed to leverage them. So to them, it may seem broken, but to us, we understand yeah. exactly what was, it was designed to do. So um, we... Um, one of the things I think one of the one of the core values that we have here, and you know, something that you talked about, and one of the reasons I love the Django community, and it's also reflected here in Momentum, is um, the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat our students. So, first of all, we come from a place of everybody has the capacity to learn. Um, Clinton says quite often, um, coding is a trade. So you're learning a trade like this is it's a commodity. Exactly. <laughs> not magic. You know, mm-hmm. not like there's there's not secret powers that, you know, are instilled on affluent white men at a young age that, you know, other people don't have access to. Like, that's just that's all societal bullshit. But like so, you know, so one of the things is coming from a place that everybody has the capacity to learn. I think another thing is that there is some in our uh, particular instance, there's some community and business support, um, which for um, people for underrepresented groups, actually, I got a scholarship originally for, because <laughs> I'm the face of diversity in tech, which is just absurd. Uh, listeners, I'm a white woman. Um, but like, uh, so for people for underrepresented groups, there's um, access to some support. We have a, a pretty amazing structure here, the American underground. It's what used to be cigarette factory, Durham's a tobacco town and in the, and it has become a tech hub and there's an incredible network of people and capital and resources. And so among that, um, we're able to have some support, some scholarships um, for people from underrepresented groups. Um, you know, like uh, our, our last class had a, uh, variety that had it um had a representation that i think is much better than the tech standard in terms of in terms of race in terms of age um 
in terms of um, LGBTQ, like it just, and when you have a class, you create a class that looks like that. And then you approach that class with everybody has a capacity to learn. And I am going to, uh, Clinton and I are going to use all the tools that we have accessible to us to help you learn. So I think that's another thing is, is approaching it like your, your, everything in tech is incremental, right? We're like, whether you're building an app or, you know, you're doing agile or whatever, you're starting with something, you're starting with an MVP and you're incrementing on that. And I think if you take that same approach to learning, you, you get away from this gatekeeper idea of you've got quote it, or you don't have it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like you start where you're at and then with every student, you increment on that and you build a little bit each day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, the same approach that we use to an app. And I think that that. um, Would you say your boot camp is designed different from others? Because I'm not a fan of boot camps because. Um, yeah, I'm not because many of them, um, well, most of the ones I know, um, have a one size fits all model and we know all Mm. students do not fit one size. (laughs) Um, the people who are creating curriculums don't have a clue on how learning actually happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, oftentimes what you you seem to be talking about is a scaffolding approach. Yes. Um, um, there is no scaffolding. There's you do this one thing you do do three days of this and then you jump to this thing and you do three days of that. And then you jump to this thing, you do two days of that. And then then you're trying to put all this stuff to make some sense. And there's really no connection to any of it. And then you just go back to this other thing. And it was like the math that they did in Georgia a few years ago. There was just a shit show that they just like, (laughs) they just like put um, algebra, trig, um, geometry in a book. And and yeah, exactly. (laughs) In one damn book for every level. And it never connected to anything. So the students were just fucking lost. You do five weeks of algebra and then all of a sudden they jump to trigonometry and then they kind of go back and you're like, what the hell is going on? So everything they knew, those, you know, um, you know, solving for X, they couldn't figure out anything about cosine and how to connect that to solve for X. Because when they went back to it, it was like a whole new thing. Like they'd never seen it before. So... And, 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 you know, and I was going to apologize, but I'm not. So I'm just, cause I, I don't, I don't know anything about your boot camp, but yeah. it sounds like it's different. Like it's a different model. Well, you know, I haven't, I haven't been inside other boot camps, so I can't, I can speak to how weird this is. Yeah. That's why I want you to speak to your model. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. Like, it sounds, it sounds like a place where pe- learning can happen. Cause if there's scaffolding going on. There is scaffolding going on. And a lot of that, I mean, that's primarily Clinton, I think the other thing is so the um where the where I learned was a was a larger uh franchise organization that doesn't exist anymore. And so the thing about this boot camp is there's one location of it. It's here. <laughs> there are two co-founders. One of them is the you know, one of them is the lead instructor and is designing the curriculum. So in terms of capacity to both designed for the needs of the students, the needs of this particular market and the capacity to adapt. Like we actually just had our our retrospective, you know, coming from one um, session going into the next one and we're able to pivot, you know, we're able to say, gosh, this worked great. Let's keep that. Let's do more of it. This didn't work as well. Let's adjust. And and we, you know, we do that on, on sort of a larger scale, but then we can also do that on a, on a micro scale. Um, 
you know, interacting with a given student on, on any given day. And you could, um, and also, but the, you're right that the way that the way that Clinton's designed the curriculum is it is carefully scaffolded week by week, the projects build on each other. Um, and so everything is what you were doing before plus a new thing. And I had to keep reassuring students that that was indeed going to happen. I said, yeah, this thing that you've seen once, this is going to keep, you know, this, this core topic that we did in week one, that's going to keep getting revisited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, you know, week one, we do a, and then week two, we do a and B mm-hmm. and then week three, we do a and B and C. And then in the final projects, it's a, B, C, D, E, and F, G, all together and then and that's where it starts to really and students have commented on that on, on how it really starts to solidify but it, but it does it does rely on that scaffolded structure because that also builds confidence like you don't have any wins mm-hmm. I, you know that's something I would do too is I would always encourage students to pause and celebrate every win that's a sort of another that, that's an informal way of creating scaffolding is being like wait See that thing you just got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have a second ago? Yeah, yeah. Let's pause for a second and acknowledge this, right? And I'm going to stop for a second. I know this to some listeners, they might be like, where the fuck is this conversation going? And I'm really (laughs) liking this conversation because this is about, this is how we cause a scene. This is another way we cause a scene. It's through education. And many of you do not know what the fuck you're doing. You just don't know how learners learn. And this is how, when um, Rebecca and I met, I was, my whole thing then was mentoring because without, I don't care what, unless, this has been my experience, unless an individual has an engineering background or some has been very familiar with computing or something at some point, many people go into a boot camp. um, you're not, most of you are not going to get a job right out the door. There's some other things you need to do. Um, um, particularly with a lot of these, just like I said, this is like skipping all over the place. And so people um, come with, so it's like a big cabin and that's just with any industry. There's a big, you get out of work. I mean, you get out of school. There's a big jump to get to your first job. And in tech, in particular in development, it's mentoring. It's how do you help people figure out this thing. Now that's changed in the short time that I've been here because now we're speaking more on, I don't have to do it your way because doing it your way doesn't help improve inclusion. So how do we figure out how my way can work? So that's the breathtaking. Um, Yet it still requires people who understand adult learning, Mm -hmm. understand educational strategies mm-hmm. people understand um because that, that that was a big thing about me with mentoring it's like we have to stop telling adults that coding is easy because coding is not easy it's a hard thing this to, like you said hard like you said <laughs> it's possible we all have the capacity but this shit is hard and when That's, we tell adults that they can't do it i mean that yeah. it's easy and then we can't do it we internalize that and say oh it's something wrong with me and so that's where you get that rock star coder or oh i should have started yeah. this when i was 11 and that shit because now if, if everybody's saying it's easy and i can't do it then i'm like okay maybe it's not meant for me and that is not the truth and so we really need to have these conversations about how to bring people into tech, how to shift from this, 
if you haven't been coding since you were 11 and yeah. you weren't taking apart your computer, I'm going to tell you, if you had a computer in the black community, ain't no way in fuck your parents going to let you take that bitch apart and put it back together. That was not going to happen. That was mm-hmm. not something you was going to experiment with. So that was a lot of privilege for those people who got to play with and build their own fucking computers. Because that wasn't happening in our house. That Nope. Mm-mm-mm. You would nope. You're not doing that. Um, and so we need to, it's like, how do we, how do we do that? And, and, and so you've been doing that with Django. You've been doing this in your, in your boot camp life. And again, you've only been doing this for four, since 2014. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, the community that I, that I found in this Django community has given me the space to do that. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's another thing. Yes. They are yeah. very, oh yeah. They're very nurturing. And I would particularly like to acknowledge um, people like Jeff Triplett and others who sort of sit at the top of the privileged pyramid mm-hmm. and are 100% aware of it and dedicate a tremendous amount of their own time and energy to redistributing that that power and that opportunity. Yeah, um, I had many conversations, particularly when we were at DjangoCon with Jeff. To yes. talk about to talk about those things, yeah, and and Clinton's another one of those. Yes, mm-hmm. my, the the um, and uh, but I think the question of right of how we how we transition. I mean, what what I found really compelling about your talk at Pac Caribbean was was number one the idea that like yeah, telling somebody that something is easy when it's not is not empowering. It's disempowering, um, and. You know, I think a lot of the people I admire who talk about writing documentation are are incorporating this as well. People like Kenneth Love um, and um, and Lacey Williams. Like, so that's uh, I think that's an important piece. And, and the other piece that that I got from your talk was about um, was about mentorship and you saying that a bad mentor is worse than no mentor at all. Yes. And and. <laughs> And that being, you know, and I think that can extend to, you know, mentor, instructor, mm-hmm. um, you know. A bad teacher in the classroom is, Lord, you can see it. Classroom management sucks. You can just, oh my God, it's a shit show. <laughs> well, and yeah, and the need for, you know, the need for structure. And I think, you know, I, I think what the Django community does have is we've got a willingness across the board among among people who possess a you know, a great deal of knowledge, power, privilege, and experience. We've got a great deal of willingness to share that. And I think we're, I, you know, uh, we can support the community in in getting the most out of that is causing a scene in terms of like, like you did in your talk, in terms of shaking up the models that are existing or, you know, the places where there are no models at all and saying, okay, let's, these these things need structure, mm-hmm. right? Um, or these things need a different structure than, they, <laughs> than they've had before, right? And we need to do this differently. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. 
To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause a scene.com. We need to do this differently. And, um, you know, uh, and I want to extrapolate, I want to pull that out because it's not just about coding, mm-hmm. it's about the whole community. And this is where I, one of the reasons yeah. I do hashtag cause a scene because I recognize that as we were talking about, these systems are as they des- are designed. I recognize that people who've had the privilege don't recognize that. So this is all new to them. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They're out here just like, I don't know. Now I'm complicit. What the hell does that mean? What am I doing? They don't know shit from Shinola. And it's like, so this is what hashtag calls the scene. It's about finding different ways to provide content, the podcast, the conferences, the um the the live things the just the tweeting the whatever so that people can recognize what these things are and start being strategic about improving um our communities because it's not about oh if this is a good this is a good thing to do i don't do this because it's a good thing to do i do this because it makes sense i am a business strategist (laughs) this makes sense this is about the bottom freaking line that's supply and demand. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't figure it out, Django mm-hmm. community is going to figure it out. And then you're going to be wondering, why can't I? Because you haven't embraced this. Because yeah. you didn't take the time to learn the skills to be a better mentor or yeah. learn the skills to understand that everybody who's, um, who, who comes, who is um, under your leadership is it coming at a different place. And this is no longer about assimilation. This is about... Um, this is about um, acquire. No, that's not the word I use. Um, um, uh, it's, uh, give me a second because I have it. I'm I'm quite in, um, handy with these little things here. Mm-hmm. It's no longer about assimilation. It's accommodation. That's what I wanted to say. Um, it's not. I don't have to assimilate. I don't have to be like you. But the space needs to accommodate me because you're the companies, communities, and events are losing out on our value when we don't feel safe enough. Why even hire us? Just because it's the why would you hire somebody if it's a nice thing to do if you're making making absolutely no, if I'm bringing nothing to the table and I'm just yeah. taking? That's just not good business sense. And right. so and so when we talk about the education, so when I was in, <laughs> before I quit um, pursuing my doctorates, um, my research, and I'm going to continue, I'm actually going to, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to publish this now, um, but it's about building or learning organizations, not organizational learning, but building organizations that are building organizations that are learning organizations, which means at mm-hmm. the root, at their core, it's about learning, not yeah. organizational learning, but at the core, it's about learning. Everything is about learning. Rebecca learns something. How does she share it with everybody so that I can now leverage it in my job and now organizational leaders can leverage it to differentiate and become more competitive. That is what it means to be in a, um, in a 21st century economy. We're no longer making widgets. We are creating knowledge. And if you're not effective at creating and sharing knowledge, Mm -hmm. you're going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And that starts with that education that Mm -hmm. so everybody's not going to be an educator. But you need to know when the hell you don't know what you're doing so you can hire somebody who does. Mm-hmm. And also, um, when you can, you need to know how to mitigate um, harm that's being, that you're, that you're uh, potentially doing to impact other people. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to, you know, in, in relation to this, I'd like to take a moment to speak to fellow white women in that 
I think a really important piece of this is that we truly acknowledge our position, our power, and our privilege within this industry. And, you know, that we make really good decisions about how we leverage that. I think, I think a lot of times, um, especially, you know, four years ago, I think one of the things I found most striking was, uh, when people would have conversations about diversity and, and would talk about diversity and it was a synonym for, um, or people be like, here are our diversity stats. And it was a synonym synonym for gender binary representation. Mm-hmm. How many men, how many women? Like that's what diversity meant. And like w- when people used the word, right. And I even saw very high levels discussions, very prominent public platforms about like, look, we're so proud of our diversity stats, this many men and this many women, you know, and, and we're not even measuring, right. We're not even, we're not even measuring race. We're not measuring disability. Uh, we're not measuring veteran status, you know, all these other kind of groups. So, um, I, and even in that, that, let's be clear, even in that, when you're looking at men to women, it was white women. It was not anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody was even asking what, what kind of women we know. We knew what kind of women. It was the default women, exactly. exactly. The default, that's, that's precisely right. It's the default woman. And I think um, I think that quite often um, white women in tech or in general um, uh, like get wrapped up in, in being in this position where no, we're not at the... There are instances and there are interactions in which we don't have as much privilege as the white men in the room, but that doesn't mean that we don't approach our daily life and our interactions in this industry with a tremendous amount of privilege that we have. A, I, I feel like I personally have a duty to leverage and I hope, I hope that other white women feel that way too. Um, and I think, so I, I think a lot of that's actually on us to open up no, it is uh, all on you. Yep, absolutely, every bit of it. Because um, we can't do it. I can't make yeah. you leverage your privilege. I can't make yeah. you um, no longer be complicit. But no. what I can do is call that shit out. And yeah. um, and it depends on where you are in your development, <laughs> what, yeah. what you take with that information. Because what you normally happens is, because um, as I say all this, well, first of all, white women are not diversity. Let, let me get that. Nope. Not, not <laughs> um, let's, let's let's strike that. And the majority wow. of white women are no are not are also not marginalized. So they may be underrepresented, but they are not marginalized. That's um, and if you can't um, understand the differences between that, then you haven't been listening to me long enough. Um, and you can find it somewhere. But it becomes just like this whole um, girl development situation. It becomes white feminism and it becomes very painful to many individuals because you speak about, oh, this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. But anything or anyone who challenges the status quo or say, hey, my experience is different. It's shut up uh, because that's not what we're talking about here. Right. And I also like it is not a healthy path to empowerment to just simply leverage your, to simply exercise your power over those who have less than you. 
Like that is not, that's not empowerment. In the guise of, I know what's best or we're all the same because this is what, this is what white women don't understand and what many people don't understand. And this is why I don't call myself a feminist. My race is the most important thing to me because whiteness has made my race a very important thing to me. Correct. My gender comes second. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not, you're not, don't have initiatives or learning or spaces where I can feel safe based on my race, I'm not going to be there because my vagina means absolutely nothing. And this is not to, and and I'm going to preface that because I've been told by trans women about being mindful about vagina, but I'm talking about my specific vagina. I'm not talking about the global vagina, but my (laughs) vagina is not the most important. It's not the, the thing that is, it puts me in danger every day. It's not. It's not, it's my race. Mm -hmm. I think what we, what we need to ask. So one of the things that I do is I'm, is I'm one of the, on the organizing team of DangoCon. And I think, um, what it's something we've done well here at Momentum. And it's another thing we kind of need to ask ourselves is specifically with respect to race. What are we doing to, make our spaces inclusive. Um, so it doesn't just, and what are we doing that we're unaware of that's exclusive? I think maybe even more so that, mm-hmm. like, what are, yeah, what are you, what are the things that you're not even seeing that are being, you're not even seeing, yeah, you know, yeah. um, a lot. And like, um, and I actually have, so one of one of my guides in this regard is is actually from dance is is um a teacher uh, of mine from the dance world his name is Junius Brickhouse and he runs an urban dance um nonprofit educational um nonprofit in DC and i think um one of the things that 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 we've talked about a lot and that he's really helped me understand is so I did, the example I use is, so he grew up um, in, in Norfolk in an, um, in an urban part of Norfolk and grew up, um, you know, in very particular uh, spaces. And okay, let's be, let's be clear. When we say urban, we mean black. Go ahead. Yeah, I do mean that. Yep. Exactly. Oh, we we all mean that, but that's not what people say. And on this show, I want us to be very transparent. When people say urban, they mean black and brown communities. Go ahead. Black communities. Yes, he grew up in a black, a low income black community in Norfolk, and um, so um, he's he's now an internationally uh, known educator. Uh, educator leads a hip hop diplomacy program um, with State Department. Yes, but so so somebody invites him to a square dance. Um, and <laughs> yeah, if, you could, if I could describe the face <laughs> on, the, on the podcast, of like, so if you get somebody to a square dance, and I think this is a lot akin, um, not that I can speak for, I certainly don't want to speak for anybody else, but in my understanding of it, experiences that I've heard from black friends of mine um, at tech conferences, it has been pretty similar. Is like, Okay, so he gets invited to the square dance. Everybody else in the the room is white. Um, they come they come from different geographical places, probably maybe from different socioeconomic groups, but also there's there's sort of expectations about how you interact in that space that are unspoken. 
Mm -hmm. and that are culturally incongruous Mm -hmm. with the culture that he comes from. Mm -hmm. Things about how you touch people, how you talk to people, um, how you ask somebody to dance, you know, and, and I think, I think it's important for us, those of us who organize tech conferences to be thinking about in the same way, like what, if, if we are, well, number one, we should be doing more physically going into other communities. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's a thing, right? Like, so number one is you don't always make people come to your square dance, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like, like us as, us as white people, like we go into places where like, you're going to be uh, fucking uncomfortable, but so are we. So you get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I mean, yeah, like, if you think about it, when people are like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, like, <laughs> like the grass, okay. <laughs> like, nothing bad happens to you if you're, uncom- if you're a white person and you're uncomfortable. Like, at worst, you learn something. Like, <laughs> you're kind of in danger. Mm-hmm. And like, um, so, that, so that's number one. But anyway, so like, thinking about going into those communities and then also understanding about like, if if we're then inviting people from communities that are different from ours to come be a part of ours, then then what are we doing? You know, and what are the assumptions that we're making about how we communicate with each other? What are what are the unspoken expectations we have of people? And I think mentorship comes in here. So right, so like you know, just just and that speaks to what I was saying about the the assimilation versus the accommodation. That's right. Because uh, when you said. Uh, um, Square dance. The first thing that comes is is the fact that that is so rooted in white supremacy. Period. Absolutely. Literally, um, quite literally, like yeah, the, quite literally. The, the Henry is, Ford and all that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it is rooted in white supremacy. And yeah. So you bring um in, in, and like you said, you might come from different parts of the county, but you show up with your 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 costume on. You already know the dances. Exactly. You already know how to listen to the calls. That shit makes absolutely no sense to us. Then you're white. You're on a different beat than we are. We, <laughs> I mean, oh. you got yeah. I mean, they're on the one and three. Yeah, like, yeah, we're day. on the two and four, and we're like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Um, and so there's, <laughs> we're running into each other. We're looking like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, and that that that's a great example, Rebecca. That's an awesome I've example. Seen it. Yeah, because let me tell you what happens when I go to a conference. First of all, I'm an introvert, so I really don't want to be talking to a bunch of fucking strangers I don't know, especially yeah. white strangers, because you know I don't trust you by default. If you don't like that, not my fault. I have um, historical precedents to say to trust you by default is, is, is a peril to me. I'm not doing it. So I'm coming in. I'm already got my defenses up. Mm-hmm. I am immediately looking for other people of color. Yeah. Look, I, it's like, where's Waldo? I am scanning the room for other people of color. And if I don't see people of color, I know I can I, I make an assessment about my safety, psychological, physical mental based on how what I see in that space um and then I'm listening to conversations and I'm like what the fuck are y'all talking about this I mean it's just like a totally different language you get to these tech conferences everybody wants to talk about shit that's like dudes can we come out of these damn nerd towers for a minute and (laughs) um because everybody wants to argue about whose technology is the best that's Oh, React or Angular, who cares? Can it solve my problem? Can we solve problems? Yeah. Um, I'm on the twos and fours. You're on the ones and threes. How do we how do we get on the on, on something that we can make up together and we can dynamic? So we're not stepping on each other. But this is the stuff that people need to understand because again, it's the it's the even at the jobs, you know, we brought them in, they just don't stay because no one felt welcomed. 
Yeah. I don't fucking know how to square dance. You didn't teach me how to square dance. I didn't learn because I had no support in learning how to square dance, but then that's my fault. Yeah, it's it, it's my fault. And, and everybody had uns, unspoken expectations of me, which I did not meet. And I didn't even know they existed. Exactly. exactly. Well, so you walk, in the door, you walk in the door with a scorecard that you don't even know is being scored and you're just getting shit on all over the place. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, another thing we need to be really careful about as white people in tech is, is which which things that we might think are, you know, are tech specific, you know, or are Python specific or Django specific um, that are actually cultural. I mean, sort of using the analogy of like an SAT, like, oh, is the SAT in it? The SAT is an objective test. No, it's, it's no, mostly cultural, right? Yep. And so then thinking about in our technical conversations, how much of our technical conversations are the things that we think are technical are actually, in fact, cultural and are specific well, to also, what So I have that conversation. We need to stop calling coding. On, that's the only technical thing. That's a technology. I have very yeah. technical skills that you don't have. And so when we do that, yes, you do. And when we do that, yeah. you eliminate people who could bring very much depth and, and, and experience mm-hmm. to your teams just mm-hmm. because they can't code. We already said it's something if they if they have an affinity to, they can learn. Mm-hmm. Just like the um, someone just shared to me because we were talking. I was asking. I put out a poll about should I do a um, a talk on code of conduct because people really just don't get them. They get mm-hmm. them at a surface level. They either like them or they don't. But they really don't mm-hmm. get the value of them. Mm-hmm. And um, someone. Um, they've been having these conversations about replacing the name, the, the word slave versus master with client and server. People are like, oh, why do you want to do that? Because, motherfucker, slave and master. What the hell? Like, why is that even a quick, like, <laughs> like, like, that shouldn't be, like, it shouldn't be an experience that in your professional life as a Black developer, you have to explain that to any, you have to explain it or, or defend that like that name replacement, like that shouldn't, that's, <laughs> that's not a thing that should happen. Yeah, that's not a thing that should happen. Exactly. Um, but yet you have people, deb- but that's what gets us off. We have people debating things that, sh- that I was just like, so someone just said, um, he was like, well, I had an issue because um, I was like, these things are just should be, um, you know, like the norms or what what's yeah. decent behavior. Oh, no, 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 no. They have to be defined because what you consider decent and what I consider decent may not be the same things. Yeah. And so this is where we make it like, you might not think what you just did was sexual harassment, but I do. So without mm-hmm. defined terms, how do you hold somebody yeah. accountable for those things? Well, and, and the, you know, the subtler implication, not so subtle implication in like, well, we don't need to define these things is that be, because we're all alike and we all, yes, here, exactly. Then, you know, we all have these be nice shit. Just be nice. How the fuck, what does hell does be nice? Can we measure be nice? Can we measure nice? Let's and that sure nice. means a different thing for exactly than it does for a black woman. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's very, it's very interesting that we're, we, like you said, people are fighting these things, but you won't be fighting them for long because you yeah. won't have a choice because these things are happening. Yeah. And again, you know, so just to, to go back to the, the, my, my workplace for a moment, um, that's another thing that we, you know, and, and anybody who's, who's in an educator mentorship space, all of these I don't say incidental because they're not important. I say incidental because they're the things that come up in the course of 
mm-hmm. in the course of work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the discussion about terminology and whatever you, you have a choice every time that happens for, you know, whether to use it as a moment to cause a scene, make a change, you know, move the situation forward or not. Right. Like when, when you're talking about terminology, when you observe how, um, people are interacting with each other. I, I definitely have, um, a little bit of a mansplain police. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I shut that <laughs> shit down real quick. Yep. As, a, as an educator. And I, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I think it's my role as an educator. And I think for the person being mansplained too, yeah. but also for the person mansplaining, <laughs> you know, and in, in a lot of cases hasn't been aware. And in some cases the, the response has actually been positive about th- that's what's let's pause and let's talk about what's happening right now. Yep. Like that, happened, that happened yeah. last week when <laughs> there was an issue and, um, I was like, you know, being my, I'm not changing what I'm saying. This yeah. is the thing. And yeah. then the white guy said something and the guy was like, Oh, thank you for that. That was a good point. I said, that was not a good point. That was my exact point. Thank you. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you wanted to hear, you heard it from him. From me, you couldn't hear it. Like literally couldn't hear it. And so even the, even the guy who, who made the point, I had to go back and say, cause he thought he was like, yeah, I use different. No, 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 no. We're not going to make this about that. You use different language. It had nothing to do with that. You mm-hmm. said exactly the same damn thing I said, but because it was a white man to a white man, he heard you. Let's not minimize that. Right. Because that's what we tend to do. We're like, Oh, again, cause you know, whiteness is always given the benefit of the doubt. It can never be an asshole. Never. It's always the, 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 the yeah. hero or the victim. It's never the oppressor. So if that's there's right. anything that's, that goes wrong, it's always, well, they just didn't know. And no, no, I don't get away with that shit. I don't get it. Whether I know or not, I'm held accountable. So that's what we're going to do from moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in your last few moments, what would you like to, this is, this is again, weird conversation guys I'm catching up with a friend <laughs> who I really just enjoy and haven't seen for a while. And we always have these kind of conversations. So what would you like to say in your, um, in, to close out the show? I would like to first off um, thank specifically the Django community for welcoming me in a way that's allowed me and encouraged me um, to use my talents and resources um, in a way that I feel is beneficial and meaningful. Um, I, I want to put out a challenge my, and I include myself in this challenge and I'll uh, talk about one of the ways to, that I'm addressing it. I put out a challenge for those of us that are in um, positions of privilege and power to make some concrete plans. I mean, I think that sort of didn't, it's, it's good to talk about things and it's good to be vocal about things. But one of the things that personal reflection I've been trying to do is figure out how I can take some of these values and be more concrete and more lasting in, in the ways that I'm choosing to implement them. For example, one of the things that I'm um, doing, there was a great group, uh, Carlton Gibson, the Django fellow gave a really inspiring talk that sort of set off a series of internal conversations and a sprint and about how um, 
Django, the actual contribution process for a potential open source contributor is is, is difficult. Um, the t ticket triage system isn't all that effective. It is right now almost impossible for somebody without a lot of background knowledge to come on, find a ticket to work on, work on it, and contribute to Django. And we want, as a community, to expand, like, the group of contributors, and we want to facilitate that process. So one of the things personally I'm you know, publicly committing to over the next year, um, trying to be involved in improving the process um, for potential contributors to Django. So that's, that's, that's one concrete example of, um, you know, uh, another thing I personally want to do more of that I feel like I, I haven't done is within my own community, like travel a lot, but Durham, um, you know, as a Southern city that was formerly based around tobacco, there's, there's a significant disparity in opportunity and in the great things that are happening with tech coming into Durham. I mean, there's certainly a disparity in, in the people that are receiving the benefits from that. And so, you know, what am I doing in my own community um, to spread out these opportunities? Like, am I going, um, you know, where am I going to offer free coding education and where, um, you know, kind of, kind of on a bigger scale. Like I think, again, I, I said, I personally, like I'm comfortable and I feel like my sort of skill set is in one-on-one -on -one helping an individual move forward. And I'd like to think about, you know, us collectively, me personally and us collectively um, as a Django Python tech community, like what can we do to, to, to make these, these values more concrete and to cause a scene in the sense of making, making the, making our, our spaces and our industry look the way, look a way that is, is consistent with our values. And, um, you know, I think take, what, what are the concrete steps that we're going to take and when, and how are we going to measure it and how are we going to hold each other accountable? Yeah. So that speaks to, and I'll leave it here. Um, I always say intention without strategy is chaos. And so yep. Yeah, and so that's that's what we see. Um, people have a, a lot of intention, um, but where there's no concrete plan or strategy, it it harms those that you are intending to um, help out. And we need to do a better yes. job of that. Thank you so much, friend, for coming on. I really appreciate you, this. This is really <laughs> you and to hear all about what you're doing. I'm really excited. And um, let's not make it another year and a half, okay? Yes. <laughs> See you sooner. <laughs> all right. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCalledTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.